You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. X-Men. Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly Asian podcast. We bring every story from AZ. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Bad boy of X Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. I'm sorry. How are we, Adam? I'm good. Did you uh, did you see the weather? Yes, yes. Uh, as we're recording this, it's the day after Halloween uh-huh. uh, where there was snow on the ground. So- oh, no, that's your local forecast. I meant for the podcast because I'm seeing that the oh podcast... the podcast weather. What what's the Doppler? What's the Doppler saying? Partly cloudy. Doppler is Doppler is saying partly cloudy for today's episode. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> you know what? I don't like I don't like clouds. Uh, whether there's a chance of meatballs or not. Uh, mm. And I I feel like part of that, Adam. And this is this is a really personal thing for me. Yeah, yeah. Part of that, part of that is for about two years, there was evil clouds uh, mm-hmm. that were tormenting my my mutants, <laughs> and not in like the way that like plots can sometimes do bad things to characters I like, and that's normal. Mm, sure, it was like they were clouds, and they was like, "This is what we're doing now." Okay, because yeah, they're like, "Hey." It was- I would like you to talk about the uh, X-Men's arch enemies. We all know them, the Inhumans, everyone's favorite Marvel franchise. Oh, boy. Yeah. So uh, this episode is Zach's pick. And (laughs) Zach Zach loves to troll other people. This week, he's just trolling us. And I guess me, because all of these stories are IVX era fart cloud stories where a giant fart cloud follows the X-Men around and kills them. For several um, years. Some of them are about the <laughs> aftermath of said cloud. <laughs> yes. And and how inhuman mutant relations continue from Ooh. that point. Hey, I know we don't like to talk about it on this show, and we also lived it. So never go back mm-hmm. and remind us what we said in 2017, because maybe I was wrong. Yeah. I was less cynical in 2017. Let's be clear. Uh, okay. <laughs> I liked like the Paul Jenkins, Jay Lee and humans. I thought that was pretty good. I thought the inhumans were kind of cool characters. Well, because there was a time when the inhumans would either pop up in other books. And I'll talk about one of those examples later on in this episode, or maybe they had their own, you know, Marvel graphic novel, whatever it may be. But like, they weren't the star of their own stories, like as their own superhero team. And yeah, they had like they had like a little thing in the seventies, and then yeah, the graphic novel that you mentioned. Yep, uh, that Anasenti then follows up for a surprising chunk of her Daredevil run is a right. sequel to that that graphic novel. Yes, um, yes. But then the Inhumans are just like they show up at the same rate that you would. Exp- I'm trying to think of who Marvel hasn't franchised now uh, to make it a thing. Hmm. I don't know. Like, you know how Devil Dinosaur just shows up sometimes and we're all sure. like, oh, yeah, Devil Dinosaur's here. That's about where the Inhumans were. <laughs> well, and that's a 
that's a good use of them. Once you actually start trying to tell the epic tale of these moon people, it's uh, not as exciting. And just the, the sheer um, tenacity of this cloud following these characters around and, and the attempts to make it seem like it had some sort of gravitas. Whew, it did not work. Didn't work for me then. It doesn't work for me now. Uh, Zach, you, you here's picked the, some here's doozies the thing. here. <laughs> here's the thing that people don't remember. Guys, we'll get to the real comics soon. <laughs> the thing that I say people don't remember, it's more, I think, people who, if you were not deeply involved in this stuff at that time, which means mm. like, hey, maybe you are in your 20s now. Like, you're, you're early to mid-20s and weren't reading comics at that point. You might not know that there was a coordinated effort to try and get the Inhumans over. You could you could uncharitably say at the expense of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, though I think in reality, those are related but separate things that happened at the same time. Uh, yeah. Running from a similar root cause. Uh, but then essentially Marvel being filled with people who love to lean into the controversy was like, well, then let's just make the meta story, the actual story for a little bit and make nobody happy. I don't, I don't know who was really enjoying this era. Um, and this first one you picked brother, this is a doozy. Cause not I had not only read is this it... one since it first came out. <laughs> not only is this an IVX book, not from the IVX crossover, but it's I it's Inhumans versus X-Men. But it's also the Civil War II tie-in book. <laughs> Double whammy here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. This is this is a patented Zach's pick. And folks, if you want your own picks, you can go over to patreon.com slash battle the atom. Uh and for five dollars, which is, I believe, the cover price of X-Men Civil War, Civil War II X-Men number one. Hold on, now I have to be... No, the cover... It's this is a $3.99. Yeah. It's $3.99. So just a bit more than this comic book. Well, you can torture us with your own picks or be nice and say, hey, here's a hidden gem and then potentially torture yourself when we hate it. That's <laughs> happened more than once. Uh, <laughs> uh, can I no, say something nice uh, about Civil War II X-Men number one? I would love you to say something nice about Civil War 2 X-Men number one. Then I'm going to say something mean about Civil War 2 in general as a concept. All right. So um, I'm going to say something nice. This David Yardin cover of the first issue, pretty nice. That's a nice cover. That's a pretty well-drawn. Kind of all the David the, the uh, David Yardin covers on these are kind of all really good. I like them. Yeah. They're, they're not bad. Uh, they're not bad. Uh, the interior art here is by Andrea Bricardo and uh, Colin Bunn. Uh, friend of the show. Here. Yes. Friend of the show, Colin Bunn. Um, now, you were going to say something mean. About Civil War II. Here's what okay. I have to say mean about Civil War II. I've mentioned on this podcast in the past that uh, my oldest child and I read all of the G. Willow Wilson Ms. Marvel oh, yes. uh, mm-hmm. in the not too distant past. Right, right. Oddly enough, explaining Secret Wars as a crossover was pretty <laughs> straightforward. Because I was like, hey, bud, uh, the world's kind of going to end and everyone's going to die at the end. Okay. And then I, then I said Miles gave the Molecule Man a burger and the world got <laughs> saved. And he said, who's the Molecule Man? I said, we don't have time for this. Don't worry son, about it. 
completely accepting of Miles Morales having a pocket burger to give to the Molecule Man. He's like, yeah, no, that that all tracks. I know Miles. I know storing uh-huh. food for later. Get yeah. it. Great moments in comics history. Great. Jeez. Listen, secret word. It's not an <laughs> X-Men comic, so it will never be on this list. But, bud, there's some pages from Secret Wars that I think about daily. Hmm. Crazy uh, stuff. Anyway. However, explaining Civil War II and the ramifications to Kamala's relationship with Carol Danvers and why Carol Danvers would do any of this. Mm. Difficult. Uh, yeah. To explain to the child. He's like, should we read Civil War II? No. No. He's like, does this have to do with what Abraham Lincoln did? And I said, <laughs> no. But I'm glad we're having these conversations. Oh, God. My son's a firm abolitionist, so I'm just going to tell you, he does, he thinks Abraham Lincoln was probably the best president because that was a bad thing that we were doing, right. and it's good that he stopped that. I I love this this uh, vantage point. Um, so I- He's got I a stand, lot of thoughts on the Civil War. I stand with you uh, and your son um, because the, you know, oh God- the sequel to Civil War, which I would argue should never have happened. I mean, it, it really just seems like a branding convention that they tried to figure something out for. Centers around, if you don't remember it, uh, a precog. So it centers around the idea that the Inhumans have a minority report style precog named Ulysses Kane, and everybody wants a piece of the future. So they're arguing over whether we should be arresting people before they do crime. Yes, folks. That is the plot of Minority Report. Very famous sci-fi novel. Ian. Like hugely famous Steven Spielberg movie. And they just are like, we're doing this for a giant crossover. Okay. What if we did a Minority Report? And here's the thing. Again, we're not talking about Civil War II as a whole. Except for we kind of are for a while. Because the talking's the show. They do try in some instances with some very specific writers to make that an interesting premise. Like, okay, but what does it mean if Ulysses is actually always right? Mm-hmm. Like, there is there is a interesting nugget here of minority report, but there's not a minority report. It's just, this is the truth now. Yep. Okay. There's something there. Does not actually get used well, except for, and I think this is after Civil War II even, except for in Brian Michael Bendis's Jessica Jones follow-up series where he does a really good story about that. Interesting. Uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, there's, know, a, there's a story where they like they think Ulysses is wrong, wrong about something, and it turns out, no, super wasn't. Y'all just wow. let your guard down because we said <laughs> this guy is always right. Like, that's the rules we're laying out is that he's never wrong about this. Anyway... <sighs> We should probably set the and X-Men it, setting too, because it's important to, to delineate which X books are crossing over in this particular uh, title as well. It's extraordinary X-Men and uncanny X-Men. The extraordinary X-Men team is the one that had uh storm leading it and old man Logan and magic was there and Jean gray mm-hmm. was there, but as Oh five teen and then, other people, Nightcrawler and Colossus were there too. It's just, uh, and I yeah. said, look, it's and then not the, a great book. The center, the, the, the book that Cullen is much more concerned about is his own 
um, which is Magneto's team of Sabretooth, Psylocke, Phantom X. Uh, who else is on this team? Mystique um, sometimes, Mystique. Archangel sometimes. You're right, right. Monet right. Saint Croix. Yes. So it's all the sort of, are they a good guy or are they a bad guy? I don't know. And uh, of course, Magneto takes great interest in uh, Ulysses Kane. And, um, you know, this story is about whether Magneto is, I don't know, going to abduct the kid. Is he going to kill the kid? Um, Do the rest of the other X-Men stop him? Do they help him? Does any of this sound interesting? (laughs) Here's the thing. Storm is like, oh, well, we're helping out the Inhumans so there's not a war, which, mm. weird flex, weird weird decision for her to be so cordial about all of this, because the Inhumans sure aren't lifting a finger to do anything about it. Uh, and Storm, Storm and the Extraordinary X-Men are being very respectful of the fact that, well, this is what makes the Inhumans Inhumans, so it's like we're doing a genocide to them, if we get rid of it, whereas it's literally killing people, but like the inhumans just wouldn't have powers. So it's kind of like, what if we took away the sports cars from all the rich kids and they had to drive regular cars? <laughs> I mean, that's series, not fair to the rich kids. The first, so we should issues. let them kill the other children with the sports cars. <laughs> that's a great uh, analogy there. Cause our, our four issues does begin with uh, some elite Richie, rich mutants, uh, protecting themselves in a walled off uh, luxury apartment from the Terrigen cloud uh, only to have Magneto burst in with the, you know, sort of ragged youth of the town who they, you know, weren't going to protect. And then there's Cullen Bunn's like so many, Magneto, you know, uh, Sentinel humans that are there because. Okay. Wait, Cullen hold on. Bunn pause. Like to pull in the cool thing from his other, sh- other series. <laughs> Adam, that's just, that's not Cullen Bunn pulling from his other, that's Operation Zero Tolerance, buddy. Those are prime sentinels from Operation Zero Tolerance. But aren't they still the the sentinels that he found in Magneto's solo series, too? No, those were also just Cullen Bunn doing Operation oh. Zero Tolerance. Stuff. Oh, okay, so they're still the same. I, I thought Yeah, it's still like the same general. That. No, I do have logistical questions from the canon of X-Men and also the growth rate of mutants as a population, given that in publishing time, like just a spell before this, there were no new mutants <laughs> right. and how there's not just an army in New York city of vagabond mutants, but also a cadre of ultra wealthy elite mutants. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't, know? but I do like, I do like Magneto standing up for the proletariat. Sure. Yeah, and it's great. And it also uh, demonstrates how stupid the cloud is because Storm is able to just kind of like storm it away. If yeah. uh, oh, and and I guess there's some psychic stuff that happens, but they're they're able to like move the cloud. Like they move the cloud. Like any other uh, you know, weather event, Storm Storm does have some control over this thing. It just Man, why was the big storyline Storm versus a cloud and us wondering who would win? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't think about that. It's pretty stupid. It's pretty dumb. So I know the cloud was a Johnny Hicks thing, but Johnny Hicks wasn't being like, and also the cloud kills mutants when it no. I mean, I think when Johnny Hicks released the giant, you know, he who smelt it dealt it. Um, 
I do sure. think it was a one-time thing. I don't think it was meant to continue circling the globe in a murderous rage. I you know. The murderous rage, absolutely not. Circle the globe, I feel like it was supposed to be a plot point for whatever Matt Fraction got fired off of Inhuman on. <laughs> uh, you know, we do yeah, get They really to... kept going after, after not just firing Matt Fraction, who was batting a, like, he was on a heater right at that point. Bud, that was Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. That was sex criminals had just, like, popped off. Fraction was at his yeah, non-Godzilla was related peak. Mm-hmm. Uh and then and then uh and then they for some reason hired Joe Madera to draw it. Mm. So they got two and a half issues of Joe Madera art. That's what happens. That's what happens. Uh you know, aside from the cloud issues, you know, the other issue here is that it really doesn't seem like there's very many stakes. You know, Magneto recruits Rachel upon the idea that, you know, he's trying to prevent the Days of Future Past storyline from happening again with Hounds. Um, when he finally gets to Ulysses and Ulysses shows him some version of the X future, it's pretty underwhelming. Like, you know there's not much of excitement here. It, it kind of looks like old man Logan has beheaded Zorn. And that's like the most exciting thing on this two page spread. It, it's Jake. What are we trying to avoid here? That's so uh, apocalyptic and terrible that Magneto is willing to risk everything for. And just the stakes of this story seem incredibly low and not really yeah, because here's the thing: Magneto, Magneto being Magneto, being great, being our best friend, um, does attack the inhuman city of New Adelaide so that he Ulysses, so that he can be like, "Look, I'm not going to give the Inhumans a weapon that tells them everything that's going to happen." Like, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw some nails at this kid. Yeah, like, that's just what's going to happen. By the way, the Civil War side of this is that Nightcrawler. Decides actually, I'm on Magneto's team, and Psylocke decides actually, I'm on Storm's team, and that lasts until the end of this event when they switch back with <laughs> right. nobody really caring all that much no, about it. No, no lasting consequences whatsoever to this story because it all still has to go back and conclude in the actual Civil War miniseries standalone. So it's not like anything here is going to have any anything going on now is Colin doing his best to kind of play with characters that he likes and set them up against each other. Sure. He's got the whole gambit phantom X thing, which is, you know, that's fun. Moderately enjoyable, right? Given, given the rest of the book, I am delighted by gambit and phantom X having a, honestly, a captain America civil war style fight where like there aren't actual stakes. And we, they're like, yeah, we're friendly. We're good, but we are going to do this fight right now. (laughs) <laughs> right like yeah you don't feel like these guys hate each other they're no. flirting and it's cute it's a very fun rivalry and that's great i i don't think that bricardo's art serves the story particularly well either um there no, are points where not. it looks fine um but a lot of parts it, it's very inconsistent um which and... is like Bricardo's just did a a good run on alien uh okay with uh, Declan Shalvey that I I'm not enjoying every Marvel comic right now. I am oddly enjoying the alien side of Marvel comic a lot. right now. Hey, 
Alien rules. Uh, I'm becoming so. an alien guy. I've only seen Adam. Let's see. One. Uh-huh. Two. I've yep. seen Alien. I've seen Aliens. aliens. Seen I three? have seen. I have not seen Alien 3. Okay. I have seen technically all of Alien Resurrection, but I watched it when I was maybe seven years old. My dad thought it Whoa. was appropriate for children. <laughs> he was wrong. I did not Great enjoy choice. that film. Okay. I didn't enjoy that. My dad has. How, how about the newer movies. ones? I've seen. Oh, I've seen Alien vs Predator. Obviously, duh. Who hasn't? Okay. How about AVP two? I've not, I've not seen AVP two. Don't. It's terrible. The first one is a lot of fun, and the second one is really bad. So you can. Skip I have that. seen. I have seen Prometheus. Okay. Uh, how about Covenant? I've not seen Alien Covenant. Okay. I enjoy. Covenant. I hear that one has Danny does. McBride in an Aliens. Sure does. It has some interesting uh, cameos in it. Um, I feel like Danny McBride in an Aliens is kind of like what I'd want in this world. Uh, definitely check it out. I enjoyed that movie. I know a lot of people didn't, but um, you know whatever. So, Ricardo. I mean, come on. This is almost seven years ago at this point. It's just okay. It's not. And it's not good. This is this is at the start of Ricardo's Marvel career. Like this yeah. is the third or the fourth Marvel comic they did. Sure. So this is just not that great. Um, and you know, it makes for an interesting conversation more than it does for an interesting book. So, um, I did remember reading this when it came out and reading it again, brought me very little pleasure. (laughs) I know we're saying bad things about Cullen Bunn, but I need people to understand when we were drowning, Cullen Bunn was there with us. He was swimming right next to us, trying to pull everybody back to shore. He was, he was doing his hardest in a no-win situation. And it's very I can true. respect the heck out of that. Yeah, me too. And there's a lot of stuff I like. Um, this ain't one of those things. So No, this um, one's a bad one. Yeah. Should we take a stab at ranking this on our big old list, Zach? Well, that's the thing about this podcast. We do stab uh, each other and <laughs> others. No, we rank X-Men comic. From best to worst... Uh, we've ranked 834 X-Men comics, which is oh too many. Oh, God. So many. But we're on that road to 900. Wow. I think I started making the road two jokes around 400. Mm. I can't. It was so long ago. 900 is too long. It's uh, a lot. Number one's Hawksbox. Number 100 is the Mighty Thor Asgard Shi'ar War, which, by the way, just an update for everybody. I did read Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider. I know we're all waiting to hear my thoughts on oh, it. Oh, right. Yeah. And my thoughts. Uh, my actual thoughts is I kind of think the Daniel Way run is a little more fun than the Jason Interesting. Aaron run. Okay. All but right. when the Jason, there's like, there's like a couple of issues where the Jason Aaron run really cooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like, there's one issue where uh, it's Tony Moore drawing it and it's Ghost Rider fighting a demon trucker. Oh, is that the one you just posted to social? Cause that looked amazing. Oh no, you're thinking of you're thinking of me reading the uh Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider with Trad Moore. Oh, okay. Not that yeah, more. The, other more. Uh, that you know, that it's uh that's Tony Moore. Tony Moore from the guy who got the guy who got screwed out of the Walking Dead money. Oh, that guy. Everyone yeah. no one thinks about how Robert Kirkman absolutely screwed both his collaborators on The Walking Dead and Invincible. No one talks about that. <sighs> 
and he runs Image Comics, which is all about the artist, right? Mm, Creator rights. Not if it's Skybound. I'm just, I'm just saying it's it's interesting and upholding sure the is. legacy of Image from the '90s. Anyway, <laughs> general general thoughts are Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider. Yeah. Not a hundred percent my thing, but there's some good parts and there's an on fire motorcycle man. By the way, uh, in case anyone was curious on my thoughts on the first arc of the Felipe Smith Trad Moore Ghost Rider, uh, <laughs> incredible some of the best art that's ever been in Marvel Comics. I understand why Felipe Smith is not uh, continuing to do work at Marvel Comics. Just trash writing, it's really bad, oh, but it's covered okay. in some of the best art. Like they couldn't have picked anyone better to do that. Fred right. Moore is just incredible. There, number two on our list <laughs> is X twenty three, one through five, two birthdays and three funerals. Number three hundred on our list is the gentleman's name is Magneto. From Uncanny X Men one hundred four, number four hundred is that time that Cannonball fought Gladiator, and then some space stuff happened in Uncanny X Men. Number five hundred is Death of X. Relevant. Number six hundred is Dazzler versus the X Men from Dazzler thirty eight. Number seven hundred is X Men Blue Secret Empire. Number eight hundred is Mutant X Origins. Number one in the worst X Men comic of all time is uh, eight hundred thirty four twenty nine nine. Where tomorrow? Hey Adam, did you? Why did I not know that Chris Bachelot drew Ghost Rider 2099? And why haven't I read all of that? I have not read all of it either, but uh yeah, that was that was some of his um pre-generation X artwork. That Ghost Rider is a robot with a computer yes. body and he has a mm-hmm. chainsaw arm. Yes. Kind of cool, huh? Yeah, he's a ghost in a shell with a <laughs> chainsaw arm. Yes. <laughs> um this is not as good as Death of X at 500. It is also not as good as the Secret Empire issues that Colin Bunn wrote of X-Men Blue at 700. Secret Empire, also a bad event, though I'm going to be honest, feel like we we took a lot of what we were going through as a culture out on Secret Empire because it was there <laughs> and maybe did not. I'm not saying Secret Empire is good. I'm just saying maybe we were we were bringing a little bit to the table when we, we were uh, reading it as a, as a people. As a people, we were going through a bit. Yeah, yeah, but that that sure didn't help, you know. It um, it did not improve morale. No, no, it did not. Um, better. Okay, where you, where you want to go? I just said it's worse. I'm just clicking. I'm clicking at random. Yeah. Uh, you're saying X Men: The Hidden Year Six and Seven. That's the time they meet Storm, and I think that's a better story than this. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Uh, I think the first two issues, first three issues of Claremont's revolutions is probably better than this. Uh, is it as bad as Captain Marvel two to three? The origin of Adam X, the extreme. I don't know if it's that bad. It is a coherent story that isn't that I can explain to you what happens in civil war two X-Men. I No one will be 20 years later begging Cullen Bunn to come back to explain all of the plot points of that in Civil War X-Men's Legends or whatever. Yeah. So I'm fine with putting that above that. Um, Is this better than X-Force Youngblood? I kind of think no. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Because at 733, um, right above that is Ultimate X-Men, like the Ultimatum yeah, arc. Yep. And I think this <sighs> is worse than that. Like, I think that Ultimatum arc's better. 
Okay. But it's it's got to be better. X-Force Youngblood is the first one or the second one? Adam, if Hold we on. were smart people, we would write the first one or the second one yeah. on there. Um, no, it, it does. It does say that. One. Yeah, 682 is Youngblood X-Force, the first one. Uh, so, yeah, that this is better than that, than X-Force Youngblood at 734. So this is our new 734 Civil War II X-Men, colon X-Men. And Cullen, if you're listening and you wanted to get through that and say, okay, well, now I just want to hear about what they thought about other things. I'm really sorry. I forgot you also wrote this other one. <laughs> he did write the second story. I didn't uh, mean we to do two Cullen Bud stories. Uh, but again, this is what we had going for us at the time. Because uh, I've got to talk about a tie-in to Inhumans versus X-Men. Yeah, so this is a IVX tie-in book. So we're in the middle of IVX with this one. And I had never read this one, mainly because it's a Deadpool book. Uh, this is Deadpool and the Mercs for Money, Volume 2, uh, mm. 7 and 8. It's an Inhumans versus X-Men story. Now, Adam, do you know about Deadpool and the Mercs for Money? Uh, I, I assume that Deadpool has a team of mercenaries that like money. And I do have a sense of who the cast of this of this book is based on reading these two issues. But uh, would you please. believe that that is the second group of the Mercs for Money? Because the first group more or less quit because they weren't getting enough money. I love it. That's a great premise. I like the idea. That you know that first rights. group. By the way, you're <laughs> going to remember this. You're going to remember this when I say it. That first group was a group that had a spinoff book, Deadpool and the Mercs for Money. That was a spinoff of Jerry Duggan's Deadpool. And the team, Marvel tried to make a thing because at the time, like 2015, 2016, Marvel was trying a lot of weird and woefully unsuccessful solo spinoff titles. Sure. Uh, this is the team that involved Stingray, Terror, Massacre, and then the following three characters who legitimately got solo books, like miniseries, Solo, Slapstick, and Fool Killer amazing lineup holy cow that's great At, hey here's a here's a weird secret um that yeah. fool killer book that fool killer book is actually kind of good i just i'm still hung up on the fact that terror was on the team <laughs> that's like a 90s flashback holy cow uh, terror did not get a book uh no no but they should have brought back terror inc back. they really should have yeah yeah I mean, this lineup is a lot of fun, too, right? Because uh, we've got Deadpool, Ren yeah. Kimura, Machine Man, Hit Monkey, Domino, and Gorilla Man from the Agents of Atlas. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty great lineup. Now, what do you know about Ren Kimura? Oh, I don't know anything about Ren Kimura. I just read her name. That's fair. She is a Cullen Bunn OC. Uh, okay. That You know, when, when, said, when said Fart Cloud did go through everywhere yeah 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 uh everyone was creating new characters and he created her for the fearless defenders book that he was oh, doing oh okay a all women team that he was doing that i have heard and is in a published book at least turned one person gay wow okay 
That's not a that's not a joke. Read uh, the book Heretic. It was it's an autobio that just came out earlier this year. I was not expecting while I was reading this book about religious trauma to be like anyway. So I read I read this book called The Fearless Defenders by Cullen Bunn, and that made me gay. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Why is this happening in my in in my book about religious trauma? Why am I getting Cullen Bunn content? Love it. That's great. Uh, now we start this story in another timeline without realizing. We start this story in the yeah yeah it's five years into the future and uh terrible things have apparently happened uh things are not good um we're still IVX went so bad yeah um the the mercs for money are still fighting members of the inhumans uh just just things are are not great and um lash is it, here you remember lash from agents of shield <laughs> sure <laughs> it turns out adam you know that lash was in Ag- like joe Matarera's lash from the inhumans was in agents of shield right i mean agents of shield really pulled out some wacky stuff so it does not surprise me you including know, they had, ghost they rider a, they had a death lock they had a you know a, a you know a contemporary ghost rider like it's it's pretty wild did I watch all the Robbie Reyes scenes of Agents of Shield Ghost Rider very recently? Maybe. Yeah, of course, man. You got to study for your uh, your new podcast. Um, By the way, this this is what oh, this what is what Lash looked me? like. I just sent you all the pictures of Lash from Agents of Shield. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, I remember this guy. I do remember that. That's kind of early in the show, even. Like, I think weird. it's like season two, maybe. Yeah. Three. Yeah, it was that. Um, oh, what is that guy? What is that actor's name? Um, Blair Underwood. Yes. Yeah, he transformed into this guy, if I remember correctly. Weird. Yeah, he was somebody's ex-husband. Oh, yeah, he was. He was Agent May's ex-husband. Oh my god! I gotta wow. tell you guys, it was a different era in 2016. That Jeff Loeb was cooking. <laughs> Just cooking I don't know what he up. was cooking, but. He kept he kept cooking something. Jesus, uh, so speaking speaking of media crossovers, um, this yes. these two issues do involve a particular character in a particular character design um, that is at the center of this alternate timeline. No, I deny her. I deny her. You deny her. You don't. I will wait. deny her. You do not believe. I don't understand. You you don't want to accept the reality. Negasonic Teenage Warhead is named after the song Negasonic Teenage Warhead by Monster Machine. Oh, the, right. Uh, like the bridge is, I will deny you, man. I will deny you, baby. I will deny you. <laughs> it freaking rules. That song, if you've not listened to the song Negasonic Teenage Warhead by Monster Machine, it rips so hard. And that's where the name comes from. Um, the version of the... just really liked Monster Machine. Yeah, the version of the character we're seeing here is uh, much more in line with the movie version of the character, and um, she apparently could do all kinds of stuff, like change reality or matter, or I guess more matter. But it it becomes reality. And do you know why that's that's her power? Because uh, it makes the story work. I, I don't know. No, because they had to explain why why she had the exploding movie powers instead of the powers uh... that she had in one panel of of, of New X Men One Fifteen. 
Yeah, if you go to Marvel fandom and you look at what Negasonic uh, Teenage Warhead's powers are supposed to be, it's a lot of like, well, we think she could do this based on this panel. And we think she could do that on this panel. And we think she could do this based on this panel. So it's pretty wild. I'm going to tell you the very recent Marvel Voices Infinity comic uh, by Andrew Wheeler starring Negasonic Teenage Warhead did not help clarify things. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't at all. But what she has done here is use her matter affecting powers um, to basically get rid of the Terrigen Mist cloud. And somehow that made things worse. So we're five years into the future and Deadpool and his mercs are going after Negasonic Teenage Warhead, who's being protected by a small team of X-Men who have survived. And this uh, team who I was excited to see because I didn't realize when I bought this comic initially that it was a uh, flash forward future story instead of an yeah. actual crossover to the freaking event that's on the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause the team is Nightcrawler, Polaris, Zorn, Rachel Summers, and gold balls. That's a team <laughs> of X-Men. I want to see. It's pretty great. Unfortunately, they don't get to do a lot. Um, they really don't. No. And so I don't know. I mean, basically they convince her to change her mind and tell her past self not to do it. Right. I mean, because Lash and the other guys show up and there's a big brawl and, you know, he yells all sins shall be punished. Who cares? Um, But Deadpool does die. Um, it does at least appears to die. And this causes Negasonic to go back in time somehow and convince her younger self to not do anything to the cloud so that the crossover can continue. And so none of what we just read ever happened. I'll That's tell right. you during Inhumans versus X-Men was an event that I've said it on this podcast before the zero issue, the first issue, and honestly, death of X kind of had me pumped for like, I was like, sure. wait, I think IVX is going to work. I think they're going to pull it out and pay off what has been a terrible era of comics. As IVX continued, I got, I bought every crossover for this. I was, I was all <laughs> really, wow. I did. I bought between the inhumans issues and the Deadpool issues. I suit and the rest of IVX after issue one, I quickly realized actually this sucks and and yeah. no one's actually invested in telling this story because Cullen Bunn wasn't uh, in Deadpool and Charles Soule sure wasn't in Uncanny Inhumans, a comic that is not actually an Inhumans versus X-Men comic. I don't know what that freaking comic is. <laughs> uh, listen, I think we can agree that IVX is kind of a disaster. Um, what I will say is that um, Coelho's art here on on these two issues not bad i think it, it's yeah abon coelho's well. on this yeah great abon's um, one of the best artists at R- marvel right now which almost feels like damning with faint praise but like i'm not upset to see coelho on a book no uh i you know great fluidity to the to the characters you know you mentioned joe mad a few minutes ago and there's a certain kind of quality to uh Yvonne's work that kind of of you know that has like a joe mad type sensibility to it it's not as cartoony um no but he he's got a 
pretty good sense of how to, you know, tell fluid moving characters. And I don't know. I think it looks of, pretty good. Of all of the third generation imminent clones, Cabela is one of my favorites. It, I think it, it looks pretty good. Uh, the story is meh at best. I think what you're describing, this idea of these like fun lineups, you know, I love stuff like this, but they don't get to do much. Um, you know, no, it's not even that don't. good of a fight scene. They just sort of, you know, both, both, of, not both. I've just noticed that like a lot of comics are willing to just do kind of like a two page. I feel like there was one of these in the Civil War X-Men book too. Like they'll do a two page fight spread with no dialogue. And like, that's the fight scene. And you're like, okay, well that, that looked pretty and it had a lot of characters on it, but you know, I would love to see a little bit more fight choreography or like some interactions between the characters or whatever. So Adam, Adam, here's the thing in a comic. Mm -hmm. When, when you draw a panel and you, uh, you see like someone throwing a punch. Yeah. When does the punch hit? Well, now we're getting into like, could be, I'm, Okay. I'm going somewhere There's, with this. I'm going a lot somewhere. of answers to that question, Zach. So a lot of answers to me. that. Normally, normally what you'll draw is, and you can explain this better, I'm sure. I'm not trying to art explain to you. No, no, but you'll no. Draw, please. Like, you'll show you'll show the wind up and like going through, and then panel break, and then you'll show the aftermath, the follow through, the backswing of everything. It's one way to do it. The, yeah. Often the hit happens in between panels. Right. And that's important in my mind because like because that's what fight scenes in comics are really about they aren't just about look at all these characters i can draw and look at all these cool moves that i can show it's about the build-up the emotional energetic build-up of it and it's about the release of that energy the dissipation of that tension to make you feel like yes this was valuable in so many comics don't follow that very basic principle of a fight is not just drawing a punch. It is what you build up. It's what you let out. It is everything that's going on. And like the fights in this book are because, well, there should be a, in this Deadpool in humans, X-Men comic, there should probably be a punch or two. <laughs> and there are, it, it's just, it feels flat. Um, so because there's I no emotional the resonance to any of this. No, no one cares about this flash forward story. No, no one cares. No. Immediately upon reading it, you know it's because this is already a spinoff of a spinoff of a tie-in book. Your yeah, your flash forward future Make, doesn't matter. Yeah. And and you know, tying it into the Deadpool movie uh is yet another thing where it's just like, okay, well, we've taken this one meta step maybe too far. Um so it's just okay. You know, I honestly, th I don't think this is nearly as bad as what we just ranked. Um, it's just kind of like minor superhero punch em up stuff. And I, I think the major issue is that it's very unclear what the stakes are because I don't quite understand what the parameters are of teenage Negasonic Warhead. Negasonic, I'm sorry. Uh, what the, what her power set is? It it's confusing. We don't know her. She... We don't know her. So with her being no. the emotional center point and her relationship with Deadpool, like I read the Mercs for Money stuff before this, it doesn't do a great job building that up. 
and especially in a two issue future thing, like it's just a whole lot. Of nothing, man. Yeah. It feels a lot like, Hey kids, you saw this movie. That character you like from the movie is here by this book. And there's not a lot inside to kind of like back up why I should do that. So um, I'm going to say that I think this should rank higher uh, than civil war two X-Men, but I don't know how much higher I would go. Um, I think this is better than number 700, the secret empire X-Men blue stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably a better effort than, than that. Uh, yeah. there's probably a little bit more to offer, but I don't know that I would, would I go higher than Iceman volume one at 684? I would definitely wouldn't go higher than 677 heroes for hope. No, I would actually put it below, uh, X-Men blue toil and trouble where beast learns magic. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Um, I would put it below and- X-Men, the end heroes and martyrs. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's good. Uh, I, I, you just highlighted ultimate war. I mean, ultimate war's um, got that Chris Pacello art. Ultimate war's probably, it does. And it's also a nothing kind of a story. It's still nice. Yeah. I, I think I might put this ahead of quest probe though. at 693. I'm not going to argue about quest probe one way or another. Let's make the 693. All right, great. Uh, so we've gotten through two IVX, uh, related crossover type things. Let's go three for three. Zach, what's your third pick of the week? Uh, my third pick is a explicitly in humans book. <laughs> uh, it is secret warriors volume two, eight through 12. We esteem too lightly. Uh, um, can I ask, I mean, this is not an X book. So how are we justified in adding this to our list? Tell our listeners why this is a battle of the atom rankable story. That's a great question. So this, everyone remembers the resurrection line. What no one remembers mm-hmm. is that the inhumans also had their own resurrection line that went on at the same time that involved the Ewing Royals series, which only finds its footing at the very end and then even then is a lesser Al Ewing book. Uh, there was the actually good Saladin Ahmed Black Bolt series with Christian Ward art. That book okay. rules. And then there was Secret Warriors, which started as a tie-in to Secret Empire, which is not a good sign. Yet somehow it kind of pulls it off, uh, especially in this last arc, because this last arc is about... Uh, Mr. Sinister and Dark Beast doing experiments on inhuman kids uh, just because they're evil. And Magic shows up because she's bored, comma, writer Matthew Rosenberg wanted to write Magic in his book. (laughs) And I love that for friend of the show, Matthew (laughs) Rosenberg. (laughs) All right. So for those who are not familiar with this lineup, we have uh, Quake from Agents of Shield, Ms. Marvel, the X Men character, yep, Ms. Marvel, Ms. Marvel, famous X Men, uh, Moon Ms. Girl Marvel, and Moon Girl, and Devil Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur also an X Men character for Fallen Angels. We know these things. This is a lot of X Men content. That is true. Frankly, more X Men content than some of the other stuff on this book <laughs> on this uh, list. In and Inferno, uh, unrelated and to X Men off- content, oddly enough. That's true. Uh, but we also have um, Karnak, 
who is running the inhuman business, which is being CEO'd by, this is a fun one, Ahura, who is the baby, the illegitimate baby son of Black Bolt and Medusa from the Annie Nascenti Brett Blevins graphic novel. He was legitimized then later. got carted around. Yes. But... La- yes, was given Terrigen later. Um, then was driven mad like uh, like his, his uncle. Um, but then is the same little kid who was aging way too fast in Daredevil by Annie Nascenti and JRJR. Um, so I do really enjoy that callback. Well, okay, um, you may be expecting a callback or thinking there's a callback where there's not... He's not just aging fast because of the comic book time. I don't think you're remembering, Adam, uh, Uncanny and Human Zero, the book that got released and X-Men fans got very defensive because they were like, Uncanny's our word. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> yeah. What, what's what's Why going are you, on here, Marvel? That's our word? You can't say that. That's our word. Uh, yeah. X-Men fans are the worst. We were really going oh through gosh. it for a little bit, people. Anyway, sure were. a comic where Kang does steal this baby and take him into time and grow him up into 16 and he comes back as a businessman. Yeah, so we've got Maddie Rose on uh, on the words. And then um, interesting combination here. We have Javier Garon doing most of the artwork, um, but there are certain scenes Looks like throughout the scenes. that are that are done by Will Robson, who has this, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a very kind of like cartoony, almost Todd McFarlane style, as opposed to what Javier Garon is doing. It's, it's a weird kind of thing when you flash between the two, but at least they separate the, by scene. It's not like mid scene, you switch artists for the most part. Right. So it, it, it's workable. Well, and I think I, I am, Historically, not a big Will Robson fan. In fact, like, I just, I don't gel with his style in almost everything I've read. However, I do think pairing him with Garon is a really intelligent pick here. Because even though how they are cartoony is different, Garon has a lot of stylistic overlap with Robson. Thick lines, uh, Garon has very cartoony expressive characters now cartoony in a different way like robson's cartoony is like a dennis the menace or todd mcfarlane style faces and heads where Mm -hmm. garon's is a little more like stretchy and energetic in that you see it all in the it's all in the noses the noses you know will robson is drawing these sort of like wide almost like like pig up up pushed up noses all the time sort of with like it almost looks like everybody's got a big underbite, you know, the way he draws heads. Whereas Garon is, is his features are very pointy, um, you know, but I understand why they paired these two together. I can see why editor- editorial might, might've thought there would be a good mix. Um, plus it allows both of them to get a nice page count and tell this story. It does. And do you know how I knew that secret, this is before Matt Rosenberg had written X-Men do you know how I knew that Matt Rosenberg was going to be a good, like a guy I like when it comes to X-Men real quick? Um, he writes a pretty good sinister. I mean, he does, but even before that, uh, the thing is in the first arc of this, this book, uh, is the secret warriors. And there's more X-Men content in the secret warriors book. 
uh, at the start than there is in some of the X-Men books that were going on at the time. Because uh, this is... Oh, amazing. You remember You remember how Shatterstar and Richter had uh, big gay mustaches for a little bit? Oh, yeah. That was this book. That was this book, <laughs> That right? was yeah, That was Matt Rosenberg that. being like, these are the characters I actually care about because no one cares about Inferno. And Matt Rosenberg is giving it his best shot to make us care about yeah. Inferno. Because here's the thing about this story. Here's what happens. Sinister doing some bad stuff. Yeah. The Inhumans team, the Secret Warriors, who do not have a name in this entire run. And that gets joked about at the end, which I love because uh, I forget. Ms. Marvel or Luna Lafayette, Moon Girls say they should be the all winner squad, which is a very fun. Oh, right. <laughs> very fun little <laughs> reference there. Uh, but they're trying to stop him. Magic decides to help out for. Again, because Matt Rosenberg wanted to write it. And you have to really what this book is more about is the dynamics between these teams. And there's Mm -hmm. a really good dynamic because Quake feels like she should be the leader and she's obviously not. Inferno feels like he should be the leader and he's obviously not, but he's hooking up with Quake uh, while Ms. Marvel has like a little crush on him, but not like a real one, but enough that like she feels weird about it. Uh, in the meantime, Moon Girl is the smartest person on Earth and actively working against Karnak. So kind of the kind of the like eight year old is running the team in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Ms. Marvel has to be the moral center of the team. Like there is a fun little like dynamic that's happening there. Then you have Magic who shows up and she's like, look, I'm just trying to do this thing here. Let's go. Yeah, they have to. They have to tell magic not to kill people, uh, which is pretty funny. You know, it's and what's great about this is that you mentioned this whole idea of like Moon Girl versus Karnak is like this chess game. It turns out that what Sinister is doing is he's essentially been commissioned by Karnak to bring back the Terrigen Mists and to do this. Sinister obviously goes to what he's good at, and that is experimenting on babies. Um, the so Secret baby. Warriors, like honestly, an almost offensive like amount, for, almost an offensive yeah, amount of baby of experimentation that Sinister's doing here. Like it's Mister yeah. Sinister, and I'm like, Matt, are we taking this a little too far? <laughs> is there an exploding so, child at one point? Yes, there's a child bomb. I was gonna say. They return all the children and it turns out that one of them is booby trapped to explode. So they have to bring all the children back and like, except sure for the exploded okay. one who did kill so many people. Yeah. By being um, a baby bomb. <laughs> oh man. I love oh, man. that. I do love, I do love a good, you know, sinister being sinister and creating like genetic monsters to just come like flying out and attacking these folks. It's a lot of fun. You can tell that Rosenberg is having a good time. You can tell that, you know, he's not super concerned with seeding things for like years to come. He's like, I'm probably going to get canceled after my 12th issue. Did you read? So did you read his letter a, in the end of the 12th issue? I, I did not, but I did read. Adam, you issue. need to read his letter um, at the end of the 12th issue because he's very explicitly says, uh, yeah, you should you should uh, call Marvel and see if they'll publish a hardcover of this. It would give him a good laugh. <laughs> I imagine very few people bought the Secret Warriors book. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But it is fun. It, it's kind of um, a shame because this I'm is a good topic. A, I'm having a really good time reading this. Um, you know, I, I 
I'm a big fan of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur um, at the time, and I thought it was very strange to see them put on a team. But if you read the book, Rosenberg does get the character. You know, he gets the dynamic, and um, there's some really funny gags in here. You know, some some chuckles, some laughs, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's pretty good, and it even has like the last issue of this is a denouement to the whole series and to this arc. And it's by Ramon Box and uh, Matt Rosenberg. And it is Luna Lafayette tricking everybody to coming to her house, bringing her cake, and play board games with her so everybody gets along. Which is the most ingenious and also eight-year-old thing to do. Like, she's, it hits that perfect balance of I'm the smartest, biggest planner you've ever met, and also I'm a child. In an incredibly perfect way. The other really great part of this uh, last issue is that they are playing the board game Secret Wars, um, which is playing Secret Wars, which is a Marvel themed version of the real board game Risk. So every single nation that they are trying to invade is another like Marvel specific place like Wakanda or Latveria. And I just. That is one of those little things that you can only have in a fun Marvel comic. And I really enjoyed that. It's just just a funny little beat. So well, that's that's um, the thing. They I enjoyed this. It's a fun comic. It has good character stuff. Like I feel like every character in these five issues like has an arc. They all Oh yeah. They all Absolutely. go through it. Except for Devil Dinosaur, because he's a dinosaur. He doesn't need an arc. Yeah. Dinosaurs. But yes, he does get to babysit at one point, and he also does get stuck at the top of a flagpole at one point. Magic, uh, magic puts him there, but, I believe. <laughs> yes, yes, to stop annoying her. <laughs> but Rosenberg's magic you know, continues to be great. Yeah, but th- I don't know. Like there is, you know, always uh, a fun thing when we have these weird standalone books of just misfits together. And there's some all-stars in this, in this book too, you know, like nobody would call them, you know, Ms. Marvel and nobody or, or magic and nobody. These are very popular characters, but when you mix them together with some of the other cast members, it, it really makes her for some fun dynamics. There's a lot of fun dynamics. I really do like Garon's art in this. Like I'm not, lo- I, I do too. I'm not loving Garon on uncanny, uh avengers right now but i think that's more of a i feel like that's a bit more of a coloring thing than anything else on that book uh also keep in mind that garon did not do the artwork for the most recent issue Um, right 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 right. but i agree with you that you know garon is very talented Uh, i love i love avia garon like in general that do you know how mad i was that he did that avengers arc with moon knight like the 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 honestly one of my least favorite times in comics was reading uh, the the Kanshu war crap in Aaron's Jason oh. Aaron's Moon Knight because you know I'm a Moon Knight guy, yeah. and I was like, it's Moon Knight, it's Javier Garon, and I'm mad at it. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> Hated that um, freaking story, so- but I like Garon. I I want good things. Garon is one of the artists. I think I first was I first recognized him during death of X and Ivy X because he had to do fill-ins mm-hmm. for uh, Aaron right. Cooter and for Cooter. Francis Yu. And I was like, actually, I don't mind these yeah. fill-ins. These fill-ins are good. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so happy, happy to see Garon on here. Like, I kind of think if you haven't read the Secret Warriors book, because why would you, an X-Men person, read this in humans book? I'm telling you, go read it. It's pretty great. Yeah, so I'm going to start here on the list. Um, up at 540, we have the first five issues of Extraordinary X-Men. I think this is better than that. Yeah. Yeah, bud, I do. I I absolutely think this is better than that. I think this is better than Death of X. Okay, so we're up into the 400s now. Um, are we better than Cable and Deadpool the Burnt Offering? Yes, we are better than Cable yeah, and Deadpool the Burnt Offering. I'm going to say that. I think we are. I'm going to say that with a lot of confidence here. How do you feel about it compared to Savage Avengers, The City of Sickles? Did I lose you again? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you, you pause. Right. Go ahead. How do you feel about this compared to 404 on our list, Savage Avengers, The City of Sickles? Very similar, uh, you know, group of, of misfits. I, I, I enjoyed this more. I, I just think too. this was a little more fun than that. I also think this is better than New Mutants, Truth or Death. Uh, where yeah, do we? Okay. We have so Dead Souls on our list, right? Enough. Oh, I'm sure that's a 46. Okay. Yeah. This is below 40. This is, this is below there. This isn't that good. It's not. Yeah. Um, is this, I feel like we might be in the three hundreds here. Cause like, I don't know if I would put this above cap wolf and hearts of darkness at three Oh four and three Oh five. Uh, as a, as a died in the wool, uh, ghostwriter guy, I don't think I'd put it above hearts of darkness, a comic that I want to reread now. I'm like, I have and a, would Adam, you, I have a favorite ghostwriter now. Do you want to guess which one it is? Yeah. Um, well, I think, um, Danny catch. It's Danny catch. I'm a Danny catch guy now. Yeah. Okay. So I'm guessing you wouldn't put this above brood trouble in the big easy at three sixteen. Jeez. I have not actually reread brood trouble in the big easy. I'm going to reread that after I read rise of the midnight suns. Of course. Um, nice. Um, but no, I don't think this I is mean, as good, but I think we're in about the right spot. Cause like glob loves man kills is a book that I actually feel very similar about to this. And that's at three twenty. And I think this is better than yeah, that. I, I, found, I think this is better than X-Men dis uh, uncanny X-Men disassembled at three nineteen. See, I was going to go a little bit lower cause I have long shot and Madrox at three forty three and three forty four, And I don't know if this is measuring up to either of those. But I could be like, is this better than the first issue of the Purple Era of X Force at three thirty seven? Mm. Okay, I'm gonna say at three thirty five is Neil Adams savagely and stuff. That's probably better. Uh huh. That's probably better than this. Yeah, I would put it above the Circle Chase though from Deadpool. All right. Well, then this can be our new three hundred and thirty six. Y'all go read this Warriors book. War- yeah. Secret Warriors, what is this, 8 to 12? Yeah, we esteem too lightly. Uh, check it out. I mean, if you're a Sinister fan alone, this is a real fun little uh, little arc here. This is, this is honestly, I'm going to tell you, this will make you a little more upset that Matthew Rosenberg was put in a compromising situation during his Uncanny X-Men run. Also, he had an artist that couldn't tell the story that he wanted, but that's fine. 
Sure, but it also does highlight how fun Matt Rosenberg could be instead of how dour that run okay, was. That, um, that run. We're not litigating that today. Not yet. We are. We have actively avoided relitigating that run. But I think if we went back <laughs> with like fresh eyes, we'd realize that that run kind of has a few more jokes in it than we really think, and it's more right. gallows humor. Uh, mm. But like, I don't know. Like, I got I unintentionally i have a matt rosenberg uh trade paperback for what's the first place from here right behind me like i'm a fan i like to do stuff sure so yeah absolutely uh wow we survived the the partly cloudy uh, weather of our episode today, i think we Zach. thrived in the partly cloudy weather of our episode <laughs> this one i'm curious how you where you ended it down to because i feel like we talked about these stories way longer than we thought we would no, it's true. We, we, we did a solid hour here. So, um, that was fun though. That was good. What do you got going on? Anything you want to pro- promote plug? Um, I did just write a little thing about the new season of Loki that is going to be coming out on comics XF. Uh, other than that, you can check me out on social media, uh, Adam wreck on blue sky and Instagram and Arthur Stacy on Twitter. And next week, Zach, what do we got going on? Uh, next week it's Adam's picks. Uh, and Adam wanted to do Mojo. That's stories. right. That's right. So next week we have a Mojo TV takeover, folks. It's I, all Mojo stories. I can't wait for them to do a good Mojo story. I'm so excited. <laughs> One day they're going to do it. One day he's not going to be a trap character to trick you into thinking that you could be the one to do a good Mojo story. Because I understand the appeal. <laughs> Save it for the pod, Zach. Save it for the pod. Until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!